Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast. We regret to inform you that, unfortunately, we don't have a 4D camera. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I'm your resident Jacob Condra Bogan expert tonight. Joining me this week, he's back again, and this time he's quite conveniently located for the upcoming series. It's one of our contributors, Brian Foley. How are you doing, Brian? Doing well. Hopefully you're not getting too uh, high of expectations on my Milwaukee analysis, but we'll see what, see what I have for you. Hopefully it'll be better than... Me. I don't think I've watched a Brewers game this year. So, uh, first up, we're going to recap the Brave series. Obviously, a bit shortened with the postponement on Saturday. Uh, it was a bit of an offensive ding dong battle on Friday night. Braves won 8 5 behind the Ronald Acuna show. And then the weird rain delayed game today that finished seven hours after first pitch was scheduled. And that's pulled out 6 2. Um, just to touch on the second game, did it feel like a must win going into it, given the circumstances the team's in yeah um and i think even looking at this one in one split uh you can kind of if you're just looking in a vacuum or even if they had lost lost today and gone oh and two uh you say well you know there's still two and a half months left of the season it's not too big of a deal uh, a lot of games make up a lot of games against the phillies and the braves in the division but eventually you know you just got to start winning some ball games like it seems like every uh, all of these other playoff contenders at some point, the Braves, the Phillies, going across in the American League, the Red Sox, Yankees, the Cubs have done it. They've all gone on these insane 10, 15 game stretch stretches where they're winning nine of 10, 10 of 12. Um, and the Nationals haven't gotten, gone on one of those runs yet. They've had a couple mini runs, but then they've backed it up right with a, another uh, mini losing streak. Feels like one step forward, one step back uh, every, every time with this team this season. So this was a good stepping stone, a uh, big win, getting a game back against a division rival, uh, going into a series against another uh, one of the wild card teams right now, um, and then a big road trip where you can look to win some games. So this was a, a big win and a, a, big, a, big start, a big start to what uh, could be a, uh, a pivotal point for this season. Yeah, it felt like the type of win today that they haven't had enough of this year, like Max gave a solid but not spectacular out, in which he's been doing a lot, and coming out on the losing end. And the offense had a good week, had a good uh, two-game series, scoring five, scoring six. Uh, I think it's the first time they've scored five or more back-to-back since like the eighth or ninth of June. So to have a couple of those solid offensive performances, because we've seen a lot of feast or famine, is probably a hopefully a good sign. Um, and like you said, they've got the Brewers who are struggling and the Marlins on uh, on tap. So. Hopefully they can carry some of that momentum over. Uh, did anyone, one particular player, stand out for you? Uh, and real quickly to your point, um, I think this kind of felt like a real, uh, um, like kind of just like a typical Nats game. Um, <laughs> kind of just like a nice six-two win where the offense is like, a, like an A minus, a good, not great offense. Um, Scherzer goes out and guts out a good six innings, and the bullpen comes down and gives you a little bit of a scare, but ends up doing the job. Um, and that's kind of, I think, what we all expected coming into the season. It's kind of what we've seen each of the last two seasons. Um, and so uh, 11 runs uh, total in the last two games, that's kind of what you would be hoping for, um, for this Nats offense. Uh, so hopefully that's something they can keep going forward. Um, for just an MVP of the series, someone who kind of stood out, I, I think I'm going to go with Rendon. Um, he's been the guy playing really well recently. And then today had the big uh, double turned into a triple. 
um, that kind of got the offense going today on the board. Um, he's been a key, uh, just steady centerpiece in the, in the, in the lineup, uh, flying under the radar while Harper has gone through his ups and downs. Um, the last two months or last, last month, especially he's been the guy who's really, uh, kind of held, held the uh, offense together. So, and he, he did that again today and in this series. I think we, we need to start an Anthony Rendon bingo card under the radar, consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Words <Steady>. like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he. I think he's coming into today. I think he was ninth in the NL in WAR, which is quite surprising. And he's been uh, especially because he, he missed that time early in the season. He yeah. missed a couple weeks there. So yeah, WAR isn't per game; it's totaled up. So right, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, he's been better than Aronado defensively, according to the defensive metrics. But whether you believe those or not is another matter. But yeah. Um, Having him plugged in there third in the lineup every single game is uh, probably one of the staples because you've had a lot of moving parts. Harper's moved around a bit. Eaton's moved around a bit. Turner's moved around a bit. If you can have that one steady presence, have him there, have Soto hitting somewhere behind him and Adams when he plays hitting fourth, then that's definitely going to help the lineup. Uh, for me, I'm picking out one Soto. Went four for seven with the home run on Friday. Uh had pretty much two identical doubles into the left field corner today. Uh, I definitely need to start scheduling some of those tweets from the main account. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, he had a kind of mini slump. I say mini slump. He was hitting like 260 in that slump. Uh, but uh, when he set the bar so high, um, I don't know, that, <laughs> that is a no. slump. It, it's kind of like the not to put it on too much of a pedal, still like what Max Scherzer has been doing lately with his way above average performances, but it's not Max Scherzer levels. Right. And for Soto, he was, yeah, going into the break um, a, a little bit, not how he, obviously that hot start that he got out to, but you know, if, if his, if his floor, if his like major league floor going forward is 250, 260 with an incredible eye um, and like pretty solid power, then yeah, obviously you're going to take that, especially from if that's his floor at 19. Uh, going forward, I mean, we've seen what his ceiling is, and oh, we haven't seen what his ceiling is. We've seen scratches of of on the of the surface, but how good it can be, the type of patience he has, the opposite field power, uh, and coming back out of the break in this series. I mean, you're right. The, the two doubles he had uh, late in today's game were impressive pieces of hitting. Um, so the kid just continues to rake uh, his defense. You know, who cares if he if he hits this well? It's a non-issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and probably one of the other points to touch on, we had uh, Strasbourg's first start off the DL, four and two-thirds, eight hits, six runs, uh, two walks and six strikeouts. And the big heated uh, debate that he got into with Scherzer, I heard that the Braves commentators tried to play it up a bit, saying they were nose-to-nose and at each other's throats, which definitely wasn't the case. It looked to me like it was just two two guys who want to win, basically, and they... It didn't go over the top. No one put anyone's uh, hands on anyone's throats looking at Jonathan Papelbon. Um, but what did you make of that whole incident? Uh, not a big deal. I think just two competitive guys, like you said, especially Strasburg uh, hadn't pitched in a while. Um, and so for like Scherzer kind of said something to him right as he was coming off the field of one of his worst performances of the season. Uh, I'm sure Strasburg just not, not too pleased about that, just frustrated with himself more likely. And they both w went right into the clubhouse basically right away. Um, so really was kind of a non-issue. And I think Martinez kind of quashed, just squashed the bug afterwards and should be good going forward, I would imagine. Yeah, I 
Uh, I heard David Ross talking about it on the Sunday Night Baseball stuff, and he's like, that stuff happens all the time. It was just just so happens that the first part of it was caught on camera in the dugout, and then obviously they did the right thing, went inside, probably talked it over. Um, and yeah, not that big of a deal, but perhaps more of a bigger deal is kind of the iffy start that Strasbourg had. Is it just Russ that we can put it down to? He did have a few innings where he looked like the old Strasbourg. Yeah, I would say Rust. Uh, we've seen kind of him coming back from injury before where he, ha- he hasn't always been perfect in, in his past seasons, but he usually finds himself. Um, I'm, I, I'm not worried right now if it's two starts later and he's, he's three outings off the DL and he still hasn't uh, pitched a quality start, then we'll have some uh, some concerns, raise some red flags. But right now, uh, I'm, I'm not too worried at all. I'd say just talk to me again in five days. We'll see. Yeah, and I think against the Braves' offense as well, you can probably give him a pass. Next up, he gets the Marlins, and if he struggles, then maybe there are some right, uh, some things to be worried about. Uh, one thing to touch on before we look ahead to the Brewers series is obviously the Brian Goodwin trade to the Royals, and I was frantically googling for Jacob Condra Bogan in the in the trade. Um, little little known right hander they got from Indie Ball from the Washington Wild things. Uh, what did you make of that whole deal? It seems like a it was a bit light, but um, kind of the, the Nats lacked any leverage in that trade. Right. I'm not going to claim to know anything about Contra Bogan, and especially, and you're our, uh, our minor league expert anyways. <laughs> or I, I don't know how you are with indie ball, though, so we'll, we'll see on that. Um, uh, I, I liked Brian Goodwin. I was, I'm not surprised that they traded him um, just because he has not played this well, this well this season. He's clearly the fifth uh, man on the outfield uh, depth chart. And then once Robles becomes a major league option again, he'll uh, go even further down the totem pole. And it was really just, are you keeping Reynolds or are you keeping Goodwin? You could ob- you could trade Goodwin for something because he still has three years of control. Reynolds is a free agent after the year. Um, I'm disappointed to see him go because he had an, eight, an 802 OPS from 2016 to 2017. Uh, uh, and and you, you do have so many, so many years of control left, but... It's kind of like, are you going to go with Reynolds, who is playing better right now, plus five, six years of whatever Condra Bogan could hypothetically give you, or um, three years of Goodwin, even if he maybe doesn't, he's never um, like even like a 25, uh, like a, a roster option, like in 2019 and beyond. So, you know, in, uh, sorry to see him go, but, you know, kind of, it, it kind of makes sense for what Rizzo had to do. Yeah, it was just the choice between Goodwin and Reynolds, and it was largely, are you going to try and get to September with Goodwin there um, and then see if you can, well, reevaluate what happens? Because obviously if you let Harper go, you've got your ready-made fourth outfielder in Goodwin there. Um, but again, it, it kind of makes sense, and it's the one they would get something for. I don't think anyone would claim Reynolds. I think they would wait for him to hit free agency, and then someone may try and pick him up, but... Uh, in Condra Bogan, from the, the research I had, he throws 99. He's at high A. Um, I think he had a ridiculous strikeouts to walk ratio. So he's probably someone who could potentially move through the system. I don't know how someone like that slipped through the draft. He went undrafted. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's a flyer, I guess. Um, and it's better than nothing. If, you, if he works out, you get potentially someone in the Coda Glover type mold. Right. Um, he definitely, you know, you hear 99. He's, he had, I think I saw Zuckerman tweet out like 40 strikeouts to five walks or something incredible like that. And those obviously stand out. He's already, what, 23 or something like that, I think now. 
Um, my only kind of question is now you have um, on the major league roster is you have Reynolds, Adams, and Zimmerman. Uh, we haven't seen Zimmerman play yet. Reynolds pinch it in front of him today, correct? Yes. No. Um, and Adams has gotten the two starts. So uh, not sure how Martinez is going to kind of shake out that rotation. What do you think it's going to be a kind of a strict platoon between Adams and Zimmerman? Or is Reynolds going to get starts? Like, how are they going to work out those three? It'll be interesting to see. I think the, the only lock is Matt Adams is going to play against pretty much all right-handed pitching. Um, I think they're going to start Zimmerman over Reynolds. Um, they've been trying to get Reynolds some ground balls at second and third, so we'll see whether Reynolds can pick up any starts there. I can see you shaking your head. I am no, I'm not, watching not a fan. I'm not watching Reynolds the second base. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I think um, someone speculated that it might have been Will Modifo that got sent down. And uh, if you end up with Reynolds and Murphy at second base, that's almost certainly the worst combo in the league. I would think. Especially with Zimmerman and Adams uh, manning first base, known for their defense over there. So uh, Yeah, it would, would be a bit scary. And I, I'm not convinced Reynolds can keep it up. There's a reason he was not signed until mid-April like what we can get out of him is great and he's been a been lightning in a bottle for the most of the, most of the season but you are going to get that streaky hitter and he's going to go on a like six for 50 run like he did earlier uh, that's kind of where i stand i kind of i because i wrote about this last week um i was kind of saying like this is kind of this is gravy what you've got at a reynolds and it's been great but i think the roster flexibility and kind of the options that you have uh, going forward with Goodwin uh, kind of outweigh what you would have with Reynolds because now you have three first basemen on the roster and Reynolds can passably play third base in a pinch, but yet yeah, there's not some place you want to, you don't really want to stick them anywhere long-term in the infield. So we'll see how it goes. Martinez now getting tested uh, with, with a stretch run, a lot of crazy roster options in his first season. So uh, really throwing him to the wolves. We'll see how he does. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, so we're going to look ahead to the series with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, so far, they're actually second best in ERA. You actually kind of expected them with some of the offseason moves to be a lot better at hitting. Uh, against the Dodgers, they lost their seventh in a row on Friday with some late fireworks. The Dodgers squeaked it out. Kershaw, uh, they beat Kershaw 4-2 on Saturday with a Christian Yelich home run. And then on Sunday, they got thumped 11-2 and they... Uh, they pitched two position players, which kind of sums it up. So they're saving their bullpen for the Nationals. Uh, so what have you seen of the Brewers? Um, a lot of uh, kind of interesting players. Um, when you look at like, with the, the roster that the GM, David Stearns, has put together, they have kind of have so many intriguing guys who aren't really set in one position. And this kind of even goes for their rotation. They got a lot of number threes, number fours there, not exactly a, a top-end starter. But it kind of seems like guys have struggled to settle into a, um, kind of a certain role, and it's kind of hindered some of the guys. Domingo Santana, one of their young studs from last season, 30 home runs, had a real nice season uh, from Milwaukee, Milwaukee a year ago. I mean, he's down to the minors now because he kind of got – he struggled without – couldn't figure out a position. Um, the the offseason acquisitions have played well. Christian Yelich, uh, Lorenzo Cain, both all-stars. But Brian Braun's been injured. He's been uh, – if he hitting about 230, Santana down to the minors, Arcia, their stud shortstop, he's back down to the minors now. Um, they don't really have an answer at second base. Travis Shaw has uh, kind of taken a little mini step back from his breakout last year at third base. 
Um, so their offense is kind of uh, not what it was expected to be, or that you, you felt like they had too many guys, and now they're kind of like trying to scramble for offense. Um, their rotation, uh, they probably need an upgrade there. They've kind of maxed out on some of their guys, Junior Guerra, um, Freddie Peralta, who are all kind of pitched over their heads, Chassin, who uh, the Nats are seeing tomorrow. Um, they, those guys have not have outperformed expectations, I would say. Um, while the the two top guys coming into the year, Chase Anderson, he's taken a step back, and Zach Davies has been hurt and not pitched very well. Um, so they kind of, I would say, of, of any team, um, this deadline who would make a trade, it would probably be Milwaukee um, because they have holes and they're kind of, and they're in a, a playoff spot right now. They have, but they have real flaws that they kind of need uh, some help at. So whether it's Brian Dozier at second base, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't think they would go get, get Real Muto at catcher, but I expect them to definitely be kicking the tires a lot. And we'll be hearing the Brewers uh, in a lot of uh, trade rumors over the next two weeks, I would say, right? I guess less than that, about a week and a half at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's definitely different than last season. Last season, they just kind of arrived on the playoff scene, whereas now they're, they're comfortably in it, and this is when they're expecting to win. Obviously, they wouldn't be expecting to win now if they went out because they went out and acquired Yelich, paid for Lorenzo Kane. Um, in terms of players to watch this series, you touched on one of them. Uh, I'm also going to get your expert opinion on because you wrote about him was uh, Freddie Peralta. They're going to the Nets are going to see on Wednesday afternoon as a 12.1 K per nine whip under one, and even the fielding independent pitching is. 270 to back up his low ERA. Uh, you included him in the Soto Rookie of the Year competition, so whether he can challenge Soto. So what do you make of Freddie Peralta's season so far? He's looked good, um, which is kind of, kind of surprising for Milwaukee, who has kind of struggled to develop a lot of pitching in the last decade. Um, and Peralta wasn't even a one of their top prospects. He was ninth or tenth in their system. So uh, for him to be doing this well with the advanced metrics kind of backing up his uh, run prevention performance. That's kind of a, a nice cherry on top and for, for their uh, kind of uh, starting rotation prospects going forward. Um, he's not, he's not a, a big control guy. I mean, he's got uh, almost like four and a half walks per nine, but big strikeouts, it's kind of strange. He kind of has a mix of fastballs where he's doesn't, he throws between like kind of 85 and 95. Um, and so he, uh, he's not like, always living uh, up in the the, uh, the the mid-90s like a lot of these young arms are these days. He can kind of finesse it, finesse and uh, kind of mix up what what his options are going after hitters. Um, the, Nats, the Nats are going to have a, a tough battle against him on Wednesday. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we'll kind of, we'll see if they can kind of uh, like outpatience him a little bit. He's a little wild, and so maybe the Nats middle of the order can with Harper, Rendon, and Soto can kind of work him, get his pitch count up, maybe get into the Brewers' bullpen a little earlier. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Nats are still among the lead leaders in walks, and that'll probably be the the way to beat him. Uh, in terms of hitters, probably the, the name I'm going to circle on the lineup is Jesus Aguilar. He beat Trey Turner in the NL final vote, and he joint leads the National League with 25 home runs. He's got a 9.87 OPS. And I remember he'd, he'd been in and out of the team for the past, couple years and doing well in spells but uh what's changed this year to make him kind of this stud first baseman well he just got a, a full-time opportunity once they were the brewers are going to try ryan braun out at first base and he got hurt 
Eric Thames, he was there starting uh, opening day first baseman, or at least one of their big candidates at that spot. Um, he got hurt too. And then so position was Aguilar's. He just uh, took off. He's got easy power. He's just absolutely huge. I mean, we saw him at the home run derby, just an absolute mammoth in the box. Um, so him at Miller Park with those uh, short fences, he just easy, smooth swing, just lives there. Uh, and this year he's been hitting for good average, hitting well against lefties and righties. Um, he, I mean, he's a, he's a real force uh, in the middle of their lineup, especially with uh, Yelich and Kane. So they do have like legitimate offensive players. It's just like the, the surrounding pieces are so hit and miss right now. It's kind of hard for them to sustain offense game to game. Hmm. Are there any particular hitters that you're keeping an eye out on? Yelich. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, I like to call him uh, like Adam Eaton plus. I don't know. Maybe it's just because they were both big trade candidates for the last two years that I kind of uh, uh, meld them in my mind together. But, I mean, he's just a, a solid player, does everything right on the field. He's got a little more power than Eaton, obviously. But this year, I mean, he's hitting 300, got good on base, good power, 12 home runs, got good speed. Um, so he kind of does everything. He's just uh, B plus, A minus all over the field. And he's definitely been worth what the uh, Brewers gave up uh, in that trade with the main centerpiece being Lewis Brinson going back to Miami. He's struggled down there, needless to say. Uh, and Yelich has been a probably the, the best player for uh, Milwaukee this season. So he has more than lived up to his end of the bargain. You would have him above Lorenzo Kane. I, I, I mean, I like Yelich better. I, I'm not. Kane's been uh, probably equally as good. Um, I, I think it's really just splitting hairs there. I, I would take Yelich, but I don't really. Uh, I wouldn't be offended if people said Kane was better either. Yeah, I think Kane's eighth in WAR, and he's been playing Gold Glove center field. He'll probably yeah. be the one to uh, better defender. Taylor, better defender. That's for sure. A little more power with Yelich, but. Yeah, uh, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. There's a Brewers reliever that's been uh, a little bit in the news lately. Matt Albers is about to go on a rehab assignment for the Nats in 2017. He was 7-2 and two with a 1.62 ERA. Uh, no, um, sadly, we're not going to see Matt Albers, which is a shame. Uh, we do kind of have to talk about Josh Hader. Uh, we'll talk about the pitch of Josh Hader first, just how good his, how good is he? Quite good. Uh, untouchable. Lefties, just no shot. Um, so for the Nats, who have a lot of uh, left-handed hitters, um, good luck. <laughs> so, Soto has done well against lefties. We'll see how he does against Hayter, because Hayter is whipping in just straight gas from the left side from behind these pitchers' heads. Um, just unreal strikeouts. Uh, good control for how hard he throws. Um, and he can go multiple innings at a time. So He's obviously going to be a, uh, a big part of what the Brewers have going down the stretch here, starting with the series against the Nationals as Milwaukee kind of tries to uh, settle in for the stretch run because they've obviously been struggling a bit. So we'll see if Hayter can clear his head, but uh, you'll, you can talk a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, he's basically doing what Andrew Miller did for the Indians in 2016, going multiple innings, putting out fires and uh, getting it to Corey Nebo at the back end if he's not closing himself that is so yeah i'm excited to see what he's going to do on the mound whether he gets a a standing ovation like he did the other day which was bizarre um yes it was bizarre it was very <laughs> bizarre as someone who is in milwaukee right now i i am confused as to why that happened <laughs> of all the things you could do like <laughs> if no one had stood up said anything it would have just been glossed over, but to actually go out of your way to stand yeah. up and applaud for 
um i don't know it's just weird because um the the tweets are in 2010 2011 um and yeah it's it's a discriminatory discriminatory try and get my head around that uh it's that nature of them that uh kind of stands it above anything else and i think they've probably handled it right because like they were done before he was even in college i think so right there's not a lot they can do it's not like he's doing it now right i mean i think mlb handled the he's got to go to like some counseling sessions or something along those lines Hmm. um uh and i think that's probably the proper response from uh and the MLB offices, uh, the standing ovation was not the proper response from the Milwaukee yeah. fan base. That was, as you said, just bizarre. Um, so we'll, I doubt that's going to be. A, <laughs> I hope that's not a game to game thing now. Um, so, but uh, we'll see if that, how, how that kind of plays out going forward over the next week or so. Yeah, I think it'll be more interesting to see the reaction on the road, but. Um, yes, yes. Probably given that a bit too much time. Uh, who are you looking forward to seeing on the Nat side of things? Uh, Adam Eaton uh, coming back since he's kind of gotten his sea legs after the injury uh, or after returning from the injury. Um, he's just been a man possessed. Last 15 games, 23 for 61 at, at the plate, seven walks. Um, just, just, he's been a, a key uh, just table setter at the top of the lineup. He's been the guy who's really been forcing the issue. Um, he he's, he's when when healthy for the Nationals, he has played quite well. At least didn't certainly at the plate. He hasn't been healthy, but right now, if the Nats can get the next uh, like get these hundred games out of him this season, that would be a, a nice a nice benefit. Yeah, definitely. We were we were talking about it with uh, Chelsea James on the last podcast, and she was fully advocating for him playing a lot more because he seems to be the one that's losing out against left-handed pitching uh, to allow Michael Taylor to get in. Um, so are you hoping that he can play more? Obviously, the health may dictate that, but I don't know if that's as much of an issue anymore. I mean, I I ho- would hope he plays more, um, and I would definitely advocate for him to play more, but then they pulled him after the, uh, um, after the rain delay today, and then Michael A. Taylor goes out and robs and extra bases hit at the wall so um taylor definitely has his value and, and should be getting time uh, i guess i'd lean for eaton to be getting a little more uh opportunity um but i i'm, I'm not going to quibble too much with how martinez has handled i think he's he's he split the the minutes uh per se fairly or pretty fairly between uh eaton taylor and soto mm. yeah i think today was pretty much how he should have handled it i think I want to see more against left-handers. I don't know if it's actually going to happen. I think he's still going to try and get Taylor some time. Um, obviously, Taylor's been slumping at the plate lately, so the perfect time to try and get Eaton some more time against lefties rather than exclusively against right-handers. Yeah, and and I'm not like necessarily like the biggest Taylor fan, but the thing with Taylor, it's kind of Mark Reynolds' is, is he's slumping until he's not, and then he goes on this incredible week-long stretch, and you feel like, wow, man, this guy... This guy's an also a borderline all-star the way he's playing right now with his defense. Um, so I understand the temptation to wanting to get him into the lineup because you see those tools. Um, and, I mean, you just kind of kind of fall in love with them. Plus with the defenses, uh, like obviously he should be a late-game replacement for Soto or Eaton. Um, I was kind of surprised that uh, um, Martinez left Soto in and pulled Eaton 
and for Taylor today as a defensive replacement, but Soto went out and had a couple of big base hits uh, late in the game. So worked out both ways. Well, I think Soto was leading off the next inning. So okay. I think that's why he okay. um, did it around that way. Um, for me, I want to see what Matt Adams is going to do. Obviously, three right-handers coming up. He should be starting every game. Um, and we talked about it before, how the playing time is going to play out with Zimmerman and Reynolds. Uh, but again, he has to be starting against right-handed pitching. There's there's no question about that at the moment. Um, how do you see that pinch hitting playing out, though? Is it going to be more of Reynolds over Zimmerman? Uh, I would originally, I would have said no. I said like I would expect the Nationals, out of kind of deference to their uh, franchise legend. Plus, you know, he made the All Star team last season, so it's he's not too far uh, too far removed from being a star player. Um, I would expect the Nationals to give Zimmerman more opportunities than Reynolds, which is part of the reason why I kind of expected them to get Reynolds to let Reynolds go. But then today, Reynolds gets a pinch hit opportunity. Um, and he does, I guess he does have in his career more pinch hit, op, pinch hit experience. Uh, and I honestly, I kind of expect, I bet Martinez will, whether it's smart or not, will end up playing Zimmerman against maybe more right-handers than he should. Um, and I understand that Adams has been great against them and that they're in a pennant race. But there is, it is hard to put someone with Zimmerman's resume, just like leave him like rotting on the bench with for like three at bats every five games or something like that. That's, that's definitely tough to, uh, to, to stomach if you're Zimmerman and if you're the, the, the organization. So I think we'll end up seeing him starting more often than not and getting more pinch hitting opportunities more often than not. Hmm. Uh, and the, the other name I want to watch is uh, what they're going to do with the ninth inning. We saw Kelvin Herrera today. Uh, I remember writing an article on him a couple of days ago about why he's struggling. It's been all about his location. He's been, leaving over the middle. But I thought today he looked a hell of a lot better. Like um, The only properly hard-hit ball was the Preston Tucker drill to the one track, but that was a, a low change-up, so you kind of tip your hat to Tucker. But he was hitting 99 on the gun. Um, but in terms of that, I might want to see Brandon Kinsler take the ninth, potentially. He's got a 174 ERA over the last eight days. He closed with the Twins last year. Um so how do you see that kind of back end of the bullpen working out? Obviously, Sean Doolittle was going to be missing for weeks now. Right. I would say of the other options available, I would uh, – uh, Kinsler is the, the best – like Kinsler and Herrera. Madsen has not been consistent this season. And, and today he kind of uh, put a little scare in before and ended up getting out of, uh, out of a jam. So Kinsler, as you said, has been pitching quite well um, since coming back uh, from injury. So. And it looked like he was going to get an uh, an opportunity uh, before the rain delay in kind of a in in a tight game, um, but then it looked like he kind of just got uh, they used up his bullets in in the bullpen warming up. So I bet he'll be the one getting the the uh, the, the prime time opportunities along with Herrera instead of Madsen. Yeah, I think I would um, I would want to see Herrera work out. Obviously, it's just one out in, and we've seen him struggle to start off with, but. If he can have a couple outings in like the seventh, eighth inning, get his groove back, then you put Herrera in the ninth where he's been familiar with the Royals. But for now, Kinsler is the most consistent guy back there. And I, I don't mind like I like either of them. If if uh, I don't know who Martinez thinks is better, um, I would say they're both like fairly similar standing in my mind. Um, they have their good moments, not always lockdown though. 
Um, but I wouldn't mind if either one of them was a ninth inning and the other one was kind of show up in the seventh or eighth when the middle of the other team's order is up. So as long as uh, uh, Martinez is playing it smart, not just locking them into like uh, confined inning roles, which he did today, he let Her- Herrera come in and get a five out save. So he's uh, a l- little more uh, uh, lenient in, in terms of how he's using them. So I think that's good uh, going forward with that, without Doolittle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're going to look ahead to each of the matchups individually in the Brewers series. First off, we've got Gio Gonzalez facing Julie Chassin. It's a funny first name. Uh, Gio Gonzalez, 6-6 six and six with a 3.72 ERA. Uh, Chassin, 8-3 with a 3.68 ERA. So even though the ERAs are similar, the uh, the record's different. It kind of goes to show um, kind of the, the meaningless win, but we'll... We'll move on from that. Uh, one stat I did notice is that the Brewers have the third worst average against left-handed pitching in the majors. So is this a nice opportunity for Gio to bounce back? Yeah, uh, he, and he's bounced back a little bit. He had that obviously great start to the season. And then he had that rough patch where he had a, like an 11 ERA over four starts. Last three starts, he's an ERA of 3.9. So not great, but definitely getting it back a little bit after that kind of horrid stretch. Um, and so this is definitely another good opportunity. Um, against a weak hitting lineup against left-handers, um, I I don't know. I the, the Nats need him to start going deeper into games with without Doolittle and with so many bullpen question marks. Uh, so this would be a big opportunity. Um, yeah, that, that that's all I all I can say is his control his control has been a problem in in, in his last seven starts. Um, the walks are up and the strikeouts are down. So that needs to be something that needs to be resolved going forward because the Nats pitching is not as strong as it looked early in the season. Did he have Wheaters in his last start or two, maybe? Um, because obviously we saw the issues that he had with Severino the last couple of starts. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not sure on that. I don't remember. I think he had him in the last one. Um, but yeah, I think it's more on Severino and we saw the big disagreements in Tampa and then... Um, I think there was the start after as well, where they just struggled to get on the same page. So hopefully everything's lining up for a nice bounce back start. And um, Chassin is probably hittable for the Nets with um, their stat left-handers. He's got uh, uh, bad splits. So left-handers hitting 274 against him, right-handers hitting just 190. So get Adams, Soto, Harper, Eaton, get all those, uh, all those lefties in there and make them pay. So, how do you see this one going? Um, yeah, I would say this will tip in the Nats' favor just because of the uh, kind of the lefty splits we talked about and how the Nats have some of the Nats' best hitters are all left-handed. Chassin has struggled against them, while vice versa for Gon- uh, Gonzalez in the Brewers' situation. So I would say this will tip in the uh, tip for Washington. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not locking myself into any geo predictions. Uh, the guy, I, I've I've never been able to get a read on him. It's been since 2012 that he's been around and I still uh, uh, get nervous every time he toes the mound. So yeah, you, hopefully you can just put out six innings, three runs. And if the Nats can carry over the offensive stuff that yeah. they've done this series, then that should be good enough. Uh, on Tuesday, we have Jeremy Hellickson facing off against junior Guerra, Jeremy Hellickson, four and one, three, two, nine ERA Guerra, six and six with a three, two, three ERA. It's another one that seems fairly evenly matched like the first game as well. I'm actually going to this game. um, And it should be exciting because both guys 
are fairly vulnerable to the home run, or at least have been throughout their careers. Um, so maybe we'll get some taters at Miller Park. I would say the Nationals should be able to, I think Gare is a guy they can feast on. I know Gare has got a 3.2 ERA, but he, and he's got a decent strikeout rate, but he also has a fairly high walkout, walk rate. Uh, keeping pitches down has always been an issue for him. He doesn't go that deep into ball games. Um, so I think the lineup where, I mean, you've got Eaton at the top where he's obviously a great table setter. And then the middle, Harper, Rendon, Soto, they're all working the count. Just like they live to work the count. Um, I would not be surprised if uh, maybe the Nats aren't really roughing him up. Maybe they only get like uh, three or four runs off him. But I wouldn't, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if he was not still pitching in the game by like the fourth inning or something like that. I could see the Nationals driving up pitch, pitch, his pitch count pretty quickly. Yeah, I think he got roughed up in his last start against the Pirates, four innings, six runs. Uh, and we've seen Hellickson actually perform a lot better on the road, 2-5-3 ERA on the road and 4-8-7 at Nats Park. I think that's largely by the uh, Miami Marlins when Hellickson was about to spew up his guts. Uh, but hopefully we can get a solid outing from Hellickson. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how deep he goes again. Will he go five, six innings? Um, kind of another factor in Geo going long the night before. Um, but I think this one does favor the Nationals again. So I'm going to pick the Nats in this one. Are you going that way as well? Hopefully, seeing as you're there, you'll be the good luck charm. I hope so. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been tipped as one of the Nats' favor as well. Uh, and I strangely have probably way too much confidence when Hellickson is, is pitching right now. I, I don't know why, because um, he has been very inconsistent throughout his career. But this season, he just is out there. He's pounding the strike zone, uh, it's re- really limiting hard contact. And it, it's, it doesn't really seem like that fluky from him. Um, he's obviously not a big strikeout guy. Uh, but I would not be opposed to Martinez letting him go a little deeper into games, even like r- really letting the the opponents uh, like face that third time through the opponent's batting order. Um, but you know that could also be the secret sauce to his success is you're only let him going two two and a half times to the opponent's order. So yeah, I think the the most important thing from Helixson is you know pretty much exactly what you're getting. You're getting five innings, one or two earned runs, and He's going to keep the Nats in the ball game and say he's been uh, the Nats probably second best starter behind Scherzer, even better than Gio, Tanner, and Strasburg when when he's been healthy. So to have that consistency there, it it helps, and I think they're winning a lot of starts that he does start. Obviously, the four and one record, but uh, sometimes he doesn't go deep enough for a result. So yeah, I, right. I, I like I this think one. They, I think they're like nine or ten and four in in Helix and start so far this year. So he's Really, I mean, as you said, kept the team in ball games and let the offense do the work. Mm. Uh, so finally, we've got Tanner Ark against Freddie Peralta on Wednesday afternoon. Tanner Ark three and twelve, four eight seven ERA. Freddie Peralta four and one, two six five ERA. We talked about Peralta before, um, but in his last three starts, he's got a four three zero ERA, nine walks to fifteen strikeouts. So exactly what you talked about before with the walk rate. So. Uh, that's going to be the key to success. And do you think Tanner can do anything vaguely uh, quality start-ish? I don't know. Last three starts, an 8.3 ER, 8.31 ERA for Tanner. So that's not great. Um, the the uh, day game in Miller Park, the uh, uh, the roof should be open. Uh, maybe the back, back window should be open. I'm expecting balls to be flying around uh, at Miller Park on Wednesday. Um, I, I t- Roark just seems, and he 
I don't, I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if uh, just something else. He's just not pitching well, but I, I, I don't really see him. I, he just hasn't been competitive enough recently. And, and I mean, he, he's still going, I guess, relatively deep into games for how poor he's pitching. Um, like the inning, the outing where he went seven innings, gave up nine, nine runs. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not optimistic about this one, even though I do think it's a relatively favorable matchup against Peralta. I could see like a, an 8-6 loss or something like that, just where the balls are flying, but Roark doesn't do enough early in the game. Yeah, I think the, the first two games are the ones the Nats are going to have to look to pick up. I do think this one favors the Brewers, so I'm going to pick the pick the Brewers in this one. Uh, me and you never like picking sweeps on these predictions, <laughs> so I kind of have to, and it does line up that way. But going into Miller Park, the Brewers are struggling, but you take two out of three on the road against a good team like this any day. Yeah, and I think it's just kind of funny we're talking about how like Hellickson's consistent, you know, what you're going to get him, five, six innings, one or two runs. When that used to be, Tanner Roark used to be like our Mr. Consistency, six, seven innings, two, three runs. Now it's four innings, six runs. And it's like, yeah, well, he's consistent, but my God, it's consistently awful. Uh, so hopefully, because he, he looked, he was like his classic Tanner Roark, like a, th- a mid-threes ERA for the first month and a half, two months of the season. The last month has been a train wreck. So maybe it's just a blip in the radar, um, a big blip, but this could be a, a turning point because he kind of pitched better after the all-star break last year. He really struggled early in the season, uh, I guess that middle chunk of the season last season, and then turned it around uh, coming down the stretch. So maybe he can do the same thing this this summer as well. Um, I'd like to see it. I'm not optimistic against uh, against Milwaukee this, this week, but it's definitely possible. Hmm. Hopefully it's just a kind of bonus game. If you pick it up, then so be it. But um, yeah, I think he's been fiddling with a lot of mechanics lately, trying to get back to where he was. Um, fiddling with fiddling with beard styles too. So <laughs> I was going to mention that you stole my thunder. Oh, um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but it's all been about uh, getting that two seamer bite, and we've seen his best starts. It's when he has that run back two seamer that flips the outside of the zone, gets people looking, or gets them. Uh, just jammed on the inside. So if he can get that moving, keep that down, because he's also left that up a lot, then maybe the Nats have a chance. But um, against Peralta, it's it's going to be tricky. Yes, and, and I, like when I'm looking at the uh, just the pitching matchups for all three games, you don't have Scherzer or Strasburg pitching in the series. You don't have uh, Chase Anderson, even if he struggled a little bit for Milwaukee. He's still their, their nominal ace, so you don't have them going. I could like any of these games really. I could see going going anywhere. I could see all of them being low scoring. I could see all of them being high scoring, flipping for either team. Um, let's just hope they flip two out of three at least for Washington. Mm. So coming up to the trade deadline, how do you think things would play out? Do you think they've got a win? Uh, I think what they got seven, seven, eight games. Do you think they've got a win? kind of five or six of those to be buyers or if they drop X amount, are they going to be sellers? I mean, I think they would have to lose like, like eight of nine or seven of eight. However, the math works out. Like they'd really have to tank to be sellers. Um, and even if they're sellers, like I'm not going to sit here and advocate they trade Bryce Harper. You don't get too many Bryce Harpers uh, when you're an organization. Um, if they wanted to sell off maybe pieces, like if you know you're not going to re-sign Daniel Murphy like if you wanted to trade him to an American League team that needed a DH or something like that, 
or if you wanted to trade, like someone needs a backup catcher and you were trading Matt Weeders, like those are the type of pieces. If you're selling, like you sell, you're not, but you just don't trade Bryce Harper. Cause then that, I think that completely rules out an opportunity to re-sign him in the uh, winter. As to be buyers, I'm not really sure. Like, like I think they could buy if they, which they could easily do rattle off six of seven or something like that. Cause of the opponents that they have coming up. Um, but I'm just not really sure if they need to buy. I think I've, I kind of touched on it a little bit in the, the piece where we did our midseason review. Like I'm kind of for holding, like just kind of sit where they are. Cause the nationals, I think just if they, I think the way they get back into this race is if their players just play well, like they don't have like really like super obvious flaws that can be easily replaced by the trade deadline. Like you're not going to trade for Real Muto. And I'm not sure if going after like a J hap type really does a whole lot for them. Um, it's just, just play play well. It's it sounds stupid and it's so easy. But if you just like the the people the players on their team that the stars that they have have uh, loaded their lineup with, if they just play a little better, then the Nats will will start winning games. And I don't really know if you need to go outside the organization to get any of that. Mm. Yeah, I think you can pretty much rule Real Muto out, even though the talk has been that they're going to put Robles on the table. I don't think that's going to happen. In <laughs> shaking no. your head again. Um, I think the the one piece that I would keep an eye on is Chris Archer. It's pretty much a typical Mike Rizzo trade target. They're going to get him to bolster the rotation. If Tanner Roark keeps struggling, then you get him in, get him in as third, fourth starter, but also you have him long-term because I don't think they're going to make a run at Gio Gonzalez this offseason. So that immediately plugs that gap as well. Um, maybe some smaller pieces, maybe like an AJ Ellis to back up Matt Wheaters rather than Spencer Keeboom. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you there. They're not going to be huge buyers and they're not going to be huge sellers either. Funnily right. enough, I, I wrote the piece on trading Bryce Harper and even the return that you would get makes kind of the upgrade minimal. You get a second or third or a pick after the second or third round in the draft. And you saw the return that Manny Machado got. They got Diaz, who's like an 80th ranked prospect in baseball. So the Nats may even struggle to get a top 100 prospect for Harper. In that. Right, yeah, because Machado is playing better than Harper is right now, and and when we were talking about like the midseason review, like buy, sell, or hold, I, I liked how you phrased it, like tentative buy or tentative buyers. Like, yeah, maybe for a, a backup catcher, but I think it would just be hard, and and they might kick the tires on Chris Archer. That's just a really hard kind of deal to kind of work out, especially midseason. Like they were able to do it for Eaton, who had like plenty of years of control, but that was over. Uh, like a long winter and you kind of could set that up when it's in the middle of the season for a guy who has like that much control left um, and isn't necessarily playing all that great. Uh, like you're not necessarily like inclined. You don't really have enough time to, to set up like the parameters of a, a deal that would make both teams happy. Mm. I think the other thing is the Rays might be inclined to hold on to let him kind of regain his trade value. Good right. Right. The down season. Uh, so yeah, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. I want to say thanks to Brian for joining us. Uh, I did have written down in my notes, are you going to any of the games? Is it just the one on Tuesday? Yeah, just the one. I, I would have liked to go to the one on Monday, couldn't squeeze it in. And then the Wednesday game is a day game and apparently I have to work. So, you know, no, no, <laughs> no, no go on that one. Yeah. I do that working thing every now and again and, uh, <laughs> put it on a spare screen. Uh, where can our listeners find you then? Uh, on Twitter, uh, at Brian D. Foley, and then on our website, going to be getting some stuff up this week on District on Deck. Awesome. 
Uh, remember to check out some of our content this week. One of our new contributors, Colby, wrote about how the starting pitching needs to step up to help a overly taxed bullpen rest up. And then, obviously, I wrote about the, how the Nationals shouldn't be trading Bryce Harper for the reasons that were just discussed on the podcast. Uh, but still read it anyway, just to go over that same stuff. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and Stitcher. This segment's gradually getting longer and longer. Uh, and you can get episodes automatically downloaded for you. We'll be back on Wednesday as the Nats get ready to head back to Miami to face the Marlins. So we'll see you then. 